You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. Welcome to the Vicious Circle. Sid, how you doing tonight, buddy? Good, Rob. How are you doing this afternoon or this evening? Oh, just living the dream. Living the dream, you know? You need, you need to come up with something new, Rob. Living the dream is getting old. Okay? I know. It is. Okay, that's my first order of business tomorrow morning. <laughs> Think of a new answer. <laughs> really, man? Let's just start off negative today. That's right. That's a horrible answer, Rob. That's <laughs> <laughs> now, apologize, Rob. I'm, I'm Canadian. Sorry. It's just Canadian in us. Yep. Did I say I'm sorry? I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, me too. I'm sorry too. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> uh, that picture of your food today looked uh -huh. amazing. Now, Rob, I'm telling you, I, that was a 24-hour bean extravaganza. But that bean came out better than anything I've ever eaten in my life. Uh, I won't go into it. But you posted it on Instagram, right? Yep. Now, I started cooking those last night. I started soaking them. But what that is, that's, that was a Mexican bean dish. And um, so what you do, you just do your bacon and garlic and a little um, olive oil, oil, let it soften. Never burn it because then the bean will taste burned itself. So then you, um, after you know, uh, letting them soak, put them in. Now, the key to this was using chicken stock instead of water. Um, and that's what made it so creamy. So you don't chop up the garlic either. You leave the cloves whole. And they become real soft and buttery too. But then, um, so then you make up that uh, uh, concoction of just like a, a sauce or a, uh, what do they call it? Pinto de gallo. Um, sort of like that. But what it is, you cook it down a little bit, about halfway. And then at the very end, you add that to the beans and it gives it the tomato, the jalapeno, the onion, uh, the gar whatever you put in that, uh, Sorrentos. Um, <clears throat> Now, what I added to it, because uh, it's supposed to be a, a meatless uh, bean deal, I took that pork tenderloin that I cooked on the grill. Mistake was, one, I overcooked a little bit. I didn't need to do that. Still, there were a couple of things I need to add differently. I need to add more of that, um, that mixture of the tomatoes and stuff. Um, and then don't let the beans get too soft. But, man, what a dish, dude. And the ribs, I cooked those ribs in chicken for like – four and a half five hours i'm not a big yeah. rib person uh but man those ribs literally the bones just came falling off that's awesome it was dude uh tj he keeps he keeps messaging in um i see him all the time we, we've never had a chance to get him up he said how are you guys doing 
Good, TJ. How are you doing tonight? Well, and that's good because he had an answer, which I think I might steal next time. That's good. I'm good. Still alive and kicking. Still alive and kicking. That's- well, um, <clears throat> I'm going to use one at the end of the show today since you're, you're stealing stuff. I'm going to steal something, too. Now, what we were doing right there, looking at TJ's message, Bashful Bob on the station I love listening to, he would say, hey, Sid, I'm reading an electric letter to you. So I want you from now to refer that to me like that. That's right. uh, because then I'll get a chuckle. Or I'll refer to you like that. I'll say, Bob, I'll say, Rob, you just read me an electric letter from Ty, uh, whoever that guy was, Ty. TJ. Um, TJ, yeah, TJ. Yeah. But no, uh, now what Bob would use too is like at the end, he'd go, be back next week if God willing and the creek don't rise. So there's you one, okay? I might steal that one too. If God's willing <laughs> and the creek don't rise. There we go. You can use that in a movie, Madhouse. You act yes. like you came up with that too, I'm I sure. I think I'm brilliant. <laughs> I know, right? They'll say, I heard Bashful Bob say that, you jerk. <laughs> See, they might too, because I talk about Weevil on there too. So right. people might listen to that. I'm going to tell you, man, if it's been um, this past week, um, they, they, they have to raise money because they don't have commercials. And mm-hmm. so uh, when they're raising money, man, they play the best stuff. Um, it's just been great this past week for music. Awesome. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but starting tomorrow, I should. Good deal. Now, we're just going to touch on WrestleMania 11 real quick, and then I know right. there's there's questions coming in already, too. Okay. Um, that WrestleMania, you weren't, you weren't physically involved other than, you know, the ref. What was it like being in a WrestleMania where really all you had to do was stand there? You know what? Honestly, Rob, um, I don't, I look again, I guess I look at it differently. I don't, I mean, I guess you, uh, some people say, I wish I was in the match, you know? Um, I, I, again, I, that was what I was asked to do that night. It was, um, that's what, I, you know, I was just, again, that's, that's why I looked at the business and still do is that that's what I was asked that night. It was, it was nice that I was involved in the main event. This was the downside to it. it. Was a very small venue, and I don't think it was sold out. And that's unlike a WrestleMania, you know. Um, but that, again, that's when business was really tough. Yeah, because that one has been categorized. I, I kept when I kept looking it up. That event has been called both the worst WrestleMania of all time and the event that saved the WWF. And so I got looking at it. What it was, uh, there was John Powell from Slam Wrestling uh, said that the event was the worst WrestleMania of all time. His specific concerns mentioned the review of Diesel's championship reign and the WWF allowing a football player to defeat a wrestler. Okay. No, that, that wasn't the same WrestleMania. That, no, it was actually. No, Rob, the WrestleMania at uh, New Haven, Connecticut. Was it? Yeah, that's the one that uh, Sean worked with Kevin. Then that's when Sean uh, turned on Sean. We had our disagreement at Monday Night Raw the next night because when Arkansas won the national championship. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, I want to say, um, you know, Bam Bam Bigelow worked with Lawrence Taylor at the Madison Square Garden main event at WrestleMania. So it couldn't be the same WrestleMania. Let me just check. I'm just going to pull up the card real quick. Because mm-hmm. now I'm having doubts. Well, uh, I wasn't. I, I remember watching the match in the back, and that we weren't. It wasn't in the back where, it, oh, where they had the 
show being shown when Bigelow worked with Taylor. It was that that event. The there was two main events. There was Sean against Diesel with you, and then the final bout of the event of the event was between Bam Bam Bigelow and Lawrence Taylor. Bigelow was accompanied by the members of DiBiase's Million Dollar Corporation. Oh man! But see, I'm not surprised because, like you said, you remember by venues. Right. Um, damn, Rob, I'm confused. I, I really am. I'm thinking about that. I, I just remember the match. I, uh, I don't. I remember watching Bam Bam Bigelow work with Taylor, and uh, we were all in a like a lobby or uh, like a convention uh, where they have. Uh, it wasn't. At, we weren't at the show. Really? Yeah. I'll I mean, we're at, huh? I'll dig into this more. <clears throat> I, 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 could, I mean, I could have, be having a big uh, memory lapse here, but <laughs> I don't remember. Um, I do remember doing the press conferences and stuff. And um, for, again, I remember seeing, meeting Lawrence Taylor. Maybe it was Rob. Maybe I'm just um I'm just checking really quick because you know the fans they they remember that there we go. Steve said uh LT versus Bam Bam was the same night as HBK versus Diesel. Okay. That okay, yeah. We have two people for sure say it. Okay. So it, it must have been, but like you said, you get in the back. Yeah. Right. I, I just don't remember it. But see, it was interesting because Dave uh, Rosenbaum from uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated said it was the one that saved the WWF because this was the beginning of the Monday Night Wars, you know, the feud with WCW. And Taylor looked like a pro. And the tag team match, the matches on that card, brought back that department, like that area. Mm -hmm. So did it? how did it feel for you that night? Like you said, it was smaller than normal. Right. Well, evidently, Rob, I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> I swear, man, I remember that and I don't remember it. I remember watching Bigelow's match and maybe we were before that. Um, I just thought there was something else going on. I can't, again, it's just um, so long ago. Well, yeah. And trust me, you, you get into the back with the their locker rooms and they can blend, they can blur, you know? Well, again, I just uh, thought maybe it was, we had a pay-per-view where um, it was before the Madison square garden to where um, Kevin and Sean worked with each other. Cause I know we had a pay-per-view there cause I was standing at ringside and it wasn't at the Madison square garden. Um, and I thought for sure, I just remember on the garden having that day off, but maybe I'm wrong. Well, actually, wasn't it Monday? Sean gave you the night off. Right. It was at Raw. Yeah. So that basically set up your whole feud, though. Um, that given the night off, um, how how was that brought up to you? Like when when they said, "Okay, we're going to have you do what you do at WrestleMania," but here's Raw. Well, this is the thing is, I was told, you know, 
go back to when they brought me in before all this started. Well, I was came into the office, sit down and talk to Vince about what they had in mind. And that was work with Kevin. Um, and then possibly after working with Kevin, work with Sean. So I, I was assuming the bodyguard thing was going to last <clears throat> longer than it did. But the reason it didn't is because the night that they worked their match, the people chanted my name the whole time. I'm guessing because it was the very next night at Raw after WrestleMania or after that show that they we went ahead and did the turn against Sean. Steve just commented here. He goes, uh, yeah, Lawrence Taylor, Pam Anderson, same show. Sid almost killed HBK the next night on Raw with like five power bombs. <laughs> Laugh out loud. Right. <laughs> Now, was this pay-per-view, was it Madison Square Garden, or was this in New, uh, New Haven, Connecticut? Let's see where it took place. WrestleMania 11, City, Hartford, Connecticut. Hartford, Connecticut, yeah. Yeah, so it was the same show. Yeah. Okay, but yeah, that whole thing, that set you up for your, for your run that year, didn't it? Yeah. Because HBK, Diesel... Um, I don't think there was many more. You joined the Million Dollar Corporation right after that. Right. Okay, we'll get more. And, and that really, that whole thing there was to have, uh, they thought because the whole deal, the deal with Arn, they thought with with Ted hanging around with it, they thought that he could watch over me, uh, <clears throat> which was ironic because we were watching over Ted, trying to keep him out of bars and stuff and, and keep him in his room without chasing all these ugly girls he was chasing. <laughs> I'm sure you were there for that. Right. Uh, Sterling Jimmy says, um, hey, Sid, curious to know uh, when you, sorry, called you to come to Old School Raw when you beat Heath Slater. And what did the boys in the back uh, think about seeing you then? You know, it was a, a really good reception in the back. Everybody was real respectful. <clears throat> a couple of the guys I knew, um, younger guys, they were, again, said a few things i won't say what but just really nice to hear uh, i had a lot of respect uh for those guys as well so it was it was um it was a good experience all around nice um one person asked here we go steven asked did you ever wrestle in chattanooga yeah we wrestled there quite a you know quite a bit especially for i'm scratching my underarm uh for w wcw we did that in Knoxville quite a bit. That was a, did a lot of TV tapings there. Did it a few times for uh, WWF, um, but not as often as we did for WCW. Matter of fact, uh, not to cut you off, Robert, yep. that was, I did a show there one time as Lord Humongous for Continental. Um, this is when the territory had split up, and I had gone up there for a weekend to work for Ron Fuller on his end of Continental. <clears throat> and um was walking to the ring with that hockey mask on. I really couldn't see. And someone grabbed my arm, and when I did, I just slung to the side. And there was this old man with, like, an eye patch on holding, like, a kid. And I hit them both. So when we got back to the back, Bruno was uh, – we were riding together. And uh, I'm trying to find Bruno. Of course, I got a hood trying to get my stuff in the bag and I'm in the back of the car. And uh, all the people were getting around me trying to beat me up and kill me. And uh, I'm looking for Bruno. He's not there. So I get in the car and just said, man, this is it. I'm leaving. So I take off. And – I look back in the rearview mirror, and there's a street light there. I see Bruno in his white suit, his seersucker suit, running after me. And I pulled over. And I was really mad at him, too. I was like, man, that's it. When we get back, I'm telling Robert, that's it. You got to find someone else to manage. You're not going to leave me out there and danger my life. You know, that was our first argument, Chattanooga. 
And see, that's how you remember a city. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Uh, Steve also asked here, um, thanks for these. Uh, oh, thanks for these lives, Sid, uh, like the live shows. As a lifelong fan, I really enjoy this interaction. The death of Road Warrior Animal hit me hard this week. And does Sid have any Road Warrior stories? Yeah, I got a bunch of them. You know, one, I remember seeing them and sort of meeting them for the first time. <clears throat> Eddie had brought me in to, for a tryout, and I remember checking in at the uh, Howard Johnson there in Atlanta. And it was just, just I guess, I caught him coming in from the gym or something. We were all in, in this you know, line to get you know, whatever you know, check-in or whatever they were doing, whatever I was doing. But I remember seeing him for the first time. Was of course seeing him on TV was something else, and then uh, of course working with him was uh, you know a heck of an experience. And then um, I remember one time, of course, I get asked this question quite a bit. They asked me to take that in WWF. They wanted me to take that clothesline off the top, and I said no, uh, no way, I'm not taking that. And so they thought it was funny, but I, I wouldn't put my break my neck for something like that. But I did see, uh, I saw that that he had passed away. And this is the one thing I'll say about that. Um, not try to be negative or anything like that. But, you know, Joe had done that show, Dark Side of the Ring, like so many other people are getting on that show. And what they're getting on there for, there can't be a great deal of money to be made on that show. Uh, to throw people, either your friends or not your friends, or their people in the business, um, like them or not, there should be some type of respect for them. There, are, there have been a few people do um, in these shows, I think – had the right thing, right thought in mind when they did them. A few people shed tears. I saw the one for the cocaine cowboy. That was the funniest one. But Joe got on there and he sort of threw Mike under the bus, in my opinion. And I said this in a, um, on one of our podcasts. What what if you would have asked Mike, would you like for us to have done that about you and said that about you on something that big of a platform? Um, we got to remember, guys, Viceland, I like Viceland. For, it's got some good stuff on it. It's got some stuff that I disagree with, too. Um, and this is one of them. When the people are taking advantage of people, um, especially in our industry, the, you know, most people I see on there, and I'm not going to start saying names, but they're, they're people that are desperate for that 15 minutes of fame. And you see repeat people on there because they're easy to say, hey, you know what? You come on our show, it's going to give you, you know, people will see you again. I, I almost know that's what they're doing it for. But again, uh, I um, you know, honestly, I didn't know any stories about Mike until maybe the last years in the business because I don't want to know the stories. And when I do hear the, hear the stories, I, I act like I didn't hear that story because I don't want to think those things actually happen. Uh, and if I did think it was that big, big of a deal, I wouldn't have been on TV talking about it. I'd been at his house asking me if I could help him. Uh, that's the difference in our, in our society in this world we live in. But again, um, Karma's a son bitch. Yeah, it can be. No, you're 100 percent right there. Right. Uh, okay, let's see. Uh, Steve had one more question. Uh, did you ever wrestle Terry Bam Bam Gordy? My stepdad went to school with him. You know, no, I, I don't think I ever did. He's from Chattanooga, um, or used to be. I remember he had a world's gym there. We used to work out there all the time. Super nice guy. Super nice guy, but a hell of a worker. Uh, when he was, um, you know, in his prime, man, the dude could go. And he he tagged up with Steve Williams a lot. So that has to say a lot for, you know, for who he, what he was in the ring. I remember him as part of the Freebirds. Yeah, he was cool, you know. Yes. Yes. Okay, let's see here. 
Uh, Jared says, hey, he peed on my leg one time. He, he peed on your leg. Okay, we'll get yeah, to the question in a second. Yeah. <laughs> he peed on your leg? Yeah, you know, the Freebirds were really notorious for like really crazy pranks like that. And of course, I've already been wrong on one town tonight, but I think we were in Richmond, Virginia. And one of my first times, one of my first road trips and um, had gone to the club, uh, to the hotel bar like everyone went to. I was drinking cranberry juice and uh, sitting there talking and he just comes up, starts talking. And next thing I know, I, my leg gets warm. I look down and he's peeing on me. And uh, so, you know, man, at first I wanted to say, mother, man, I wanted to hit him. But then. Uh, Danny has said to me, he goes, that's a rib. And I didn't know, you know, of course, we found out later that ribs get more serious than that. He said, if you ever, if you react to it, you'll never, they'll never stop ribbing you. So I, so I didn't say anything. I didn't put it over. That's probably the best idea. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause we, yeah, I've heard stories about how severe they can get. Well, I heard that they get you in the room that you wake up and every one of them are peeing on you, you know? So <laughs> I didn't want, I didn't want it to get to that. Yep. Or you reach into your bag and there's something warm in there for you. Yeah, I know, right? Okay, here we go. This one was from Jared. Uh, do you think the Memphis territory was ahead of its time? So many greats got their start there. What was it like performing at the Mid-South Coliseum, and did it compare with Madison Square Garden? I don't say it's ahead of its time because there were some other territories that were doing real well, too. Uh, Continental was doing real well. Texas, you know, world class was probably the, you know, from what I could see was definitely the biggest territory because no one had shows like they did at the cotton bowl or that stadium. They ran to Texas. They just, you know, and when Kerry came to Memphis, he outdrew Lawler. I'm not kidding you. A thousand to one. That's how much, how powerful Kerry Von Eric, the Von Eric's were, <clears throat> but it was a good place that people would come through. Um, and everyone came through, you know, but I think it, they all came through, you know, here, Florida, I know Hogan came through Continental. Um, a lot of people went to Bob Geigel. A lot of people went to World Class. I don't think any uh, – again, it was was it ahead of its time. But working at the Coliseum was fun, but it wasn't anything close to Madison Square Garden. Not, not even close. No? No. Well, like you said, they know what they want up there. Right. Yes. Uh, Chad. Uh, this one we've had a lot, but uh, what name did you like more, Sid Justice or Sid Vicious? Sid Vicious. Yeah, that one's an easy. Oh, here we go. Eric, uh, did you remember to eat your McRib today? I actually had two, Eric. You little <laughs> jerk. You go to Burger King, they got two for five bucks. Right, see? Yeah, you know what? I was just thinking of you today, Eric, and I was thinking good things. I was, I was thinking, man, I hope he's safe out there. Him and Carrie got it. And then I thought, wow, Carrie's such a great woman to put up with a guy like Eric. No, I thought, wow, Eric, yeah, he's a jerk. Yeah, yeah, she is a great woman. Whatever, whatever. Eric, don't worry about what I'm eating. I've never eaten a McRib my whole entire life. Rob, I want you to put up that screen of food I had today. Um, never mind. <laughs> Eric, I'm not going to fold to you, you little jerk. Okay, we'll do that. Yeah. Uh, you can see it on my Instagram. Yes, it's definitely there. Right. Okay. And my dog's on the diving board too. That's such a cool picture. That is yeah, he, stay, cool picture. he stays out there like that all the time. Uh, Aaron Anderson asks, Sid, were you happy to wrestle Davy Boy Smith at SummerSlam '96? I was there. A great match and a power bomb. Yeah, you know, Davy was fun to work with. Um, 
he was easy. Uh, I think Sting was in that match too, right? I'm not sure. I think we had single matches against these guys too. But then we had a tag match, me and Vader against them somewhere. But I really want to think that the whole idea behind things was to put me and Sting together and to put Davey and Vader together. Of course, I've already been wrong once tonight. And I lived my whole life on being correct. You know? <laughs> right. Right. Let's see here. We've got Val asking, uh, do you keep in touch with Teddy Long? Used to see you guys at matches in Atlanta. Uh, those were the good old days. You are and still my favorite of all time. Thank you, Val. No, I hadn't seen Teddy in a long time. Because um, this business, you know, people come and go, numbers change. But me and Teddy had some good times on the road, too. Uh, never forget one time I was dropping him off at an exit. There was a you know pretty busy exit. There was gas stations and everything. I remember pulling in there and as soon as we pulled in there, man, it was like helicopters above us, light shining. And I was freaking out. Teddy was all calm. He goes, oh, man, this is every night. I went, what? <laughs> but, no, we rode together quite a bit, hung out quite a bit. Um, it was um, it was a it was a real good friendship back then. Excellent. This one's from Craig. Was there a feud with you and Vader, master of the powerbomb? Do you still talk with Leon? Well, um, yeah, um, only, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Tell a whatever, yeah, through my mind, he's dead, right? No, uh, no, I saw Leon at the, um, at the same show at the Raw taping with Keith Slater. Uh, I don't think we were going, I was going to have, we were going to have a, an angle together where, uh, when I turned babyface there, but that's the same time all that stuff happened with Arn, and that's when, um, uh, quit and went back to the WWF, but, um, it would have been a good match. Now we had a great, a lot of great matches in WWF together. Um, and I'm telling you, I've, I've always said this about Leon. He's right there within the top one or two people that, um, I enjoyed working with it as much as anyone, you know? Yeah. You guys did have some classic matches, right? Here's one from Philip. Uh, do you think if wrestling still had territories, we would have better competition and product? Yeah, you'd have you'd have more competition. I don't know if it had you know you have more competition, more people to choose from. You, that would probably you know spell to be um, better competition. You know, used to man, I used to back when you know you know God. Um, right before WCW and um, say in between that, my first run to WWF, when I'd go see some of my friends at some of these independent shows, man, you would see some talents in these shows. You'd go, wow, man, this guy's a million dollars. I mean, you just saw him everywhere. But then as time went by, you know, I'd go, you know, you go to an independent show or you know, in between, you know, working with WCW, WWF, I'd do some of those independent shows. And then now you just don't see, anything that stands out to you. Um, and I think that probably has a lot to do with the decline of territories. And uh, again, like, you know, working again, you just see people all the time and you just don't see them anymore. That's true, actually. Yeah. Especially in Canada, a place like Canada, why I went to work for, uh, uh, was it Devin? Um, man, there was just tons of, uh, uh, people you never saw. You go, where's this guy being? Where's this girl being? You know, um, 
and Canada's full of it, you know, of uh, prospects. I think it's probably, and I'm guessing it's still a little more alive there than it is here as far as independent stuff. I know around here, I can think off the top of my head, there's probably four independent promotions, you know, between here and uh, just past Toronto. So within a five-hour range, there's like four promotions I can think of. Right. So they do love their independent wrestling up here. Oh, I bet. (laughs) Here's a good one from Matthew. Hey, Sid, what was your favorite pre-match meal and how early before your match would you need to eat it? You know, I never had like a pre-match meal, not just one pre-match meal. Because when you're on the road, you you, uh, you know, you're not going to find the same restaurant two days in a row for the most part. Um, but it'd always be something solid, you know, for the most part. And then it would, it'd be hours out too. You know, if you get to a show, say if the show's at say eight o'clock, you got to be there at seven, and I might go on at say nine thirty. So seven, two and a half hours. So I might not eat till from say five o'clock that day, you know, <clears throat> and try to watch what I'm drinking and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I can't imagine you'd want to have a full stomach. <laughs> now, sometimes like if I, in a perfect world, if I was able to get to a place that day, I might, you know, say just a, um, say as soon as I got to the building, um, I would have maybe just a small hand of, apricots or a small hand of raisins or something like that one to give myself give myself just a little energy and believe it or not too just to give myself just a little pump and with those sugars make your veins come out a little bit but i'd have something like i always kept a box of raisins or something like that or an apple you know in my bag that's a good idea i love apples man i could eat them forever Uh, here we go. One from oh, from Jared again. Did you and Randy Savage have a good relationship? I know he could be very difficult. Not with me. Everything everything I was ever involved with Randy was it was, it was a, a day off, you know. Um, so no, it was um, it was never a struggle. And here's one from Greg. Um, Sid, what was your favorite feud you were involved in? Storyline, angle, and payoff. Like, what was your favorite angle like that? Mm. You know, I'll be honest with you, one of the um my this is just a different answer. Uh, I've answered that s- the same so many times. One would be when I was Lord Humongous in Continental, and I'll tell you why. When I came in to Continental's Lord Humongous, I remember Robert Fuller saying, In one year from now, we're gonna turn you baby face and you're gonna really get over. And uh, they had done that to that character several times. I didn't really know that at the time. Anyway, um, so we did that. He he got it started. He left. Eddie came in, kept it going. And that one year, I could see the results of doing something right for at least one year. And that's protect the character. You know, don't uh, – everything it takes. And I'm not going to go into everything. But one is protect the character, keep him over. Uh, and Scott Hall can testify to this. He came and worked with me one time. Uh, in Columbus, Mississippi, and the first time I ever came off the, my feet, and the place went crazy. So when you do things right for, and and say everything right, it's you will get some good success out of it. Uh, saying that, we did the same thing in Memphis, not identical, but where I came back as Lord Humongous after losing a loser leave town to go to Japan, 
Now, we did that within two months, and it fell on his face. So have been a part of something early in my career that was successful, gave told me if again if you just give something just a little time that you got a chance of being successful and um you know memphis was known for hot shotting uh just you know within two weeks of the guy had already been baby facing hill four or five times you know and that just doesn't just uh, then you're just going through the motion you know what i mean yeah you're not building a character right you'll be honest with you guys when i turned baby faces lord humongous it was like being elvis I mean, I couldn't get to my car. The people were going crazy. It was cool being a you know baby face for the first time. And I was selling my pictures, man. I was making three, four times when I was on picture sales, and I was making on my payoff. You know, that's got to be the only drawback to a heel is your merch doesn't go out very fast. No, man. When I was a heel, I might sell one pit, one little four by whatever they were, <laughs> just enough to get like three bucks to get you know diet sprite and a friggin' pack of crackers or something. And if I got so two pictures, that would give me my part of gas that night, you know? So, but again, that's what you were going for, you know? Diet, diet Sprite, did you say? I got some in there too. <laughs> I detect, and I just realized that's not diet. I, that's not diet. Screen. No, son of a gun. I drank a regular pop. Oh, well, <laughs> that explains why I'm hyped up. Uh, one more good question here. Uh, oh, Corey's got an interesting one. Uh, how many bones have you broken? Wow. Uh, let's, I don't know. Let's see. I broke uh, my left wrist twice. I broke my neck twice. I broke my tibia and fibula. That's two breaks. That's six breaks. Broke my back once. Broke my foot once. Broke my hand once. That's about it. That's still quite a lot. Well, they had to break my ribs to go in and cut my lung and sew it back up. So there was a few rib bones there. Oh, yeah. I guess they would, wouldn't they? Yeah, they had to. Yeah, that was the most painful thing about that. Yeah. Man, you're talking about pain, dude. Yeah, there's no easy access to that. No. Okay, one last good one here. Um, Craig Zinn wants to know, what was your max incline bench? And regular. And did you ever work out with Hawk and Animal? You know, I did work out with uh, Hawk and Animal once. I remember working with Animal. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, Animal uh, in Boston. I think we did one or two exercises together. But we were in the gym together all the time. And um, both of those guys were extremely strong and inclined. I think for myself, that wasn't one of my good lists. I think the most I ever got was around 385 for a couple. But I've seen those guys, you know, do four or five for reps, you know. But again, you know, they're a little shorter than I am too. They are. What I think they're what six one. Yeah, five nine. <laughs> Fuck that. Oh, uh, okay, here's a good question that will lead us into our next topic. Sid Vicious, what is your take on President trying to nominate a Supreme Court justice so close to the election? You know, this is the thing is uh I wish we could do a show every night because there's so many questions come up about this presidency, the protest and everything that there's just not enough time in one night to talk about all this. But this is what I really feel about the him doing that. If it's 
And again, we're going to have to just hope that some of what both sides are saying is true. <clears throat> if if that's the if that's the case, then both sides have tried this and both sides have done this over time, right? So this is the way I look at it, man. If you can do that and you can do it legally, and it seems like that's what the case is, then you do it. Um, if what it looks like to me is that you know when when Obama tried it. <laughs> They, then the Republicans have tried the same thing and the Democrats fell for it. You know, <laughs> now I think the only difference was there was like less days uh, left. Or there was, was it the other? more? It okay. Was more. was more. Okay. Again, but you can see that one guy, where his name is, the one that's in charge of the Republicans. You can see when he was doing that, like it's going to take a vote. You can tell by his look on his face. You knew he did that when he said four years ago that they wouldn't do that. You knew he's, he was lying, you know, so, but again, guys, that's what politics are. Uh, unfortunately, they um, they go back on things and then they'll say, no, I didn't say that. So, no, if you can do it, I say, then do it. You know, uh, if that's what you're trying to do and that's what both sides would, would will try to do in a case like this, you know, try to stack that um, that those the Supreme Court with, you know, either Republicans or Democrats. Um, again, I think if if it's. It's, it's it's something I would have done too. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Mitch McConnell, Matthew. Mitch McConnell. Yeah. You know that guy is just just sneaky as I don't know. That don't look on his face, you know. But um, but no, that's politics, man. I'd do the same thing. I wouldn't be. I'd be more honest about it. I go, no, that's what I'm doing. I think that's what Trump has done too. He hasn't uh, apologized for it. Uh, that's and that's what a business person would do in a case like that. You know. Okay. Hey, here's me. You know. You know, this is a chance for us to build our party. And that's what I think politics, what I've learned, unfortunately, in the last six months about politics, man. Um, you know, I, sometimes with this this uh, whole presidency thing, some days I'm thinking, man, I got to give Maggie 50 bucks on this bet, you know, because Trump might win this deal. And then, you know, sometimes and then Trump will do something. I go, no, my 50 bucks is pretty safe right now. <laughs> yeah. But then again, Joe Biden does something or in his case, not do anything at all. And I go, wow, man, I might have to give up 50 bucks. You know, but then I see things um, that we were talking about like last week, Black Lives Matter, which um, uh, and then again, uh, just all this stuff. And I don't want to go into all of it, but all the crazy stuff on both sides. Um, this makes me think. Um, it, it confuses me. You know, it's like, I don't want to see that either. And I'll tell you this week, uh, and I, I can't remember everything I saw, but I've seen people like Charles Barkley. And I saw this. I didn't hear this. He um, was, um, him and Charles, uh, uh, I guess Shaquille O'Neal, Shaquille O'Neal both came out and um, talked, you know, hey, to stop this or whatever. And uh, they got a lot of black backlash from it. Um, it's affecting everyone. I told a story last week about a lady and her husband. Who the lady had said something unkind to a little girl of color, and I said last week, last week a little colored girl, and I, I want to correct that. Let's see if this is a better better way of saying things. That a little girl of color. Well, like I said earlier about karma, karma is sometimes the son of a gun, and it, it is in this case as well. Where that lady in question that offended that little girl is um her husband has had two affairs on her. She's caught him with, and both of them has been a lady of color. 
So sometimes that sort of comes back and gets you. Um, and but that's no reason to have hold that against someone else. Now that lady was already going to say the thing she said if that would have happened for her husband had 15 affairs or no affairs. Uh, she's going to be like that. Yeah. Um, but what I was getting to about that story with her is that I want everyone. I'm I'm not going to just you know if I if I want people to say what I, not what I want them to say, but I like for everyone again to be able to say Black Lives Matter. Again, what I was saying last week with this movement and it's and I'm not the only one saying this. Every a lot of people are saying this where it's really hard to uh, push that message anymore. But I did see a couple people this week, and most of them were uh, people of color. And the last couple of people I saw were guys of color. I can't remember their names, but they said this is that I can't remember exactly, but it was like um, they were a little upset with Black Lives Matter too. But we can't ever forget what our vision is, and that's to be able to say that every black life does matter. Uh, you might not agree with uh, Black Life Matters movement, um, but we have got to always say that everyone lives matter. And right now, what this top topic is, is black life, you know, is the black life is the matter right here. So we've got to be able to say that. And I wanted to, I got off last week without being able to say something like that. So I want to clear that up, that even though I'm against the movement, I am definitely for still the same thing. And let's give everyone an equal chance. You know, um, again, I don't like bullies, but again, so that's where, um, but again, what I think with the, these protests and they always go back to black lives matter. There was some cool protests that went on this week, Rob, I told you about, uh, it actually calmed down a little bit in Louisville and, and other places. Now, for me, I remember protesting. I, I look at it it's sort of like funny that these people are protesting. I, I I wish I could protest, say, climate change, but I just I don't have the time. I'm not going to go out there. I don't think my voice matters. Other people are louder than me uh, doing this. Um, but I, I like watching it sometimes. And I actually chuckle at it. So I'm going to go to a story about where they were making a big deal about these people pulling all this stuff out of the U-Haul and uh, it looked well organized. Well, I say like this, the, the, they uh, showed a picture of the lady that was in charge of that. You know what? I say this is the thing is that's organized and that's a protest and that she's not shooting anyone. And, and if you're mad because she's organized, and you're not, then you just got to live with that. And what I'm saying is this, when you see them, that stuff coming out of that U-Haul, you see it in all pictures of all the protests and over all the news stations. So she's there. She's got her stuff and she's getting seen. All right. But this is what I'll chuckle at. So when I see later on other pictures, I see about 12 of the people that were in that U-Haul and they're all overweight. And I'm not trying to be mean here, but they're all overweight, got bad hair and they're all you know handcuffed and they're all going to jail. But that's what they went there for. There's a lot of people that just go there for the peaceful protesting to go uh, to go to jail. And I think they should be able to get out. Uh, not if you're looting. There's a big difference. Yeah. Uh, who wants? No, nobody wants to be in jail for you know, being overweight and carrying a sign. There's no, there's not a, nothing against that, you know? So it's fun to see some of that. And then saw a little bit of peaceful protesting in New York. I think it was Friday or Saturday night where it's again, sort of funny. They, they stopped all the traffic on one of those bridges. You know, again, they weren't shooting anyone. They weren't throwing anyone off the bridge. Um, it was again, uh, you know, unless like I told you the story the first time I got acquainted to black lives matters when I got stuck on a bridge like that. So, it's sort of fun to see someone else stuck like that. But um, there was some peaceful protesting. We do know that most of this protesting is the 
larger numbers or, or peaceful people and the, and the people are doing bad things are, I think they say 10, 15 percent, no higher than that. But the numbers of bad things happening are high, you know, so well, but those people go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, you and I have both talked, and it, it, sadly, it's the 1% to 2% that kind of dictate how the rest of us are t- treated. Right. You know? Well, you notice, too, and I I was going to tell you this, Rob, because I like sort of pointing things out. I think it's going to happen in the future, was I had a feeling that once they came out, well, with the verdict of the, the three officers in Louisville, that the protesters would scale back, and they did. And the, I think the main reason was this, is the family got their money earlier in the week. You know, like, okay, we got our money. Now, I'm hoping not this, my business, but I hope they'll take some of that money and do some things with it, you know, um, and not waste it. Um, but this is the thing on that, guys. And, Rob, I told you this. Remember this when, we were, when it first happened? I said, I don't know um, what the law is about police, but they have, you know, they are protected in these situations like this. That's why they, you know, they take, you know, they get shot themselves all the time. Just like the two officers in Louisville got shot, Rob. I told you, I said, unfortunately, I feel bad for those guys, but that's what they signed up for. Yeah. And so if we can overlook that, we have to not overlook it, but we have to accept it. So we have to accept the other bad things that happen in our world too. Now, what happened in there was this is real simple. I told you, Rob, the evidence showed that, you know, they were at the door. Um, now, uh, and at the time, the no knock warrants were still, you know, you could still do them. But what they found out was this. It wasn't that. They did knock. Okay. When they opened the door, the guy and girl standing in the hallway and they shoot the cop first. Okay. So you cannot put three people in jail for a situation like that. Now, Rob, I've told you and other people too that when I took my handgun permit class, the one thing they taught me there was even if you shoot someone in self-defense or in a, if you're in the right, you're still going to be sued. And there's a chance you go to jail and all these other things. But usually you're going to come out if everything's square. You know, if you do everything correct, uh, you're going to be OK. So, again, here and I, again, I want to stress horrible it was for that poor girl. Um, but this what the deal was. She had there was a guy living there. One of her old boyfriends, he wasn't living there anymore. Okay, so they didn't have the wrong apartment or it was a new boyfriend. Now, he's got a gun. Now, of course, the attorney for the Brianna Taylor's family says that um, that the boyfriend says they didn't knock. You know, well, I'm going to say that, too. Right. I'm not going to say as a boyfriend, I'm going to say, oh, yeah, that uh, I shot them. Ten. You know what I mean? That's just not how it works. No one tells the truth for the most part, Rob. So that's what the story is. Until they can change that story, nothing can get done. Well, see, the one thing, and, and we talked about it too, I don't know how many times people will knock at my neighbor's door. I don't know because I don't pay attention. Right. You know, if they start shooting, oh, I'm going to hear that. Right. So they may have knocked and nobody was just even listening to the knock. Right. But again, and this is some too. When those things happen like that, and they showed some of the footage uh, when the officer got shot. So you can imagine all the chaos that was going on with the people in the, the other apartments, uh, the people seeing the poor girl get shot, the guy, the, the boyfriend who shot the cops. They're probably giving him a hard time. You know, it's just total crap, craziness, right? Um, so again, uh, the the prosecutor, the um, attorney general from Kentucky, he, I can't remember how he put it, but he said, man, no matter what comes of this, it's never going to be a, a good story. 
No. You know, even if we could all understand that these cops were just doing their job, and if we could all say, look at it like that, the, still the tragedy, and when you have tragedies in situations like this, it always outweighs all the other things. And I could easily say, understand, like if this was my sister or something like that, I, I would be I would be a wall there that would probably take me a while to understand that, that this was um, not their fault. I would still be mad because this is my sister or my daughter or my um, my mother or my boy, my girlfriend. So again, I'd be, I'd have that anger. It'd be a long time before I could, uh, uh, you know, come to grips with, you know, what really happened. And I'm sure the people that are upset about this, when you see them, you can see the, the, um, not just the anger, but the uh, confusion in their faces. Like when they're saying, it's like, um, I just don't understand. And they, and they usually say the same thing. I just don't understand how you could kill someone and get away with it. Well, I, I'm like that too. I, I don't either. I can't understand it either other than, you know, I guess I'm a person who can look at facts and go, unfortunately, that's the way it weighs out. You know, um, I hate that it weighs like that for sure. But um, but the people in Louisville are doing much better. The protesting, I think, is getting a little bit better. Again, I don't want to – I don't care if they protest till the cows come home. Just don't burn anything. Don't shoot anything. Don't take over cities. Um, don't knock on my door unless you've got something to give me like a bag of beans, yeah. you know, something like that. Something I mean, like <laughs> I can make some bean soup with it. Um, Steve mentioned here, Tito Ortiz had a good save our children protest in California. See, really? I didn't, I didn't even hear about that. I didn't either. That's some too, guys. You know, we're talking about this protesting and stuff like that. Our world right now of the world, not just the United States, but uh, Asia, Africa, you're talking about kids. Man, they're they're at the blunt of this uh, coronavirus, um, uh, and that you can say that this is a hoax, or whatever. But the starvation that these kids are going in the in the lines for these people to get food and stuff like that—that's not a hoax. Um, the food supplies or something's messed up. We don't know. I'm not a uh, dairy farmer or a pig farmer, or uh, I used to do a row crop, but that was soybeans and you know crap like that. Nothing you put on your plate. But um, I don't understand what's going on. But things are crazy. Uh, they're still not, you know, the shelves still aren't full at Walmart. I, I was just there today um, getting stuff. Um, I don't know, man. But the the the, the repercussions and the, the downfall of this COVID-19 is real. Now, I know the virus is real, too. And people around the world, we're all suffering the same thing, everyone, too. Um, meaning there's protests everywhere. They're talking about protesting right now over in UK because they're talking about possibly doing another um, lockdown. Now, I want to uh, share some information I saw the other morning. I told Rob about, you know, the WHO, the World Health Organization. I saw one of the doctors for that um, the other morning. I think it was Saturday morning. They were saying this, everyone, that um, like they're doing in Sweden. They used it for an example. They're not they're, um they're not stopping their lives. Their lives are going on. Um, there's, but they're doing everything that you're supposed to do. Social distance, wear a mask, sanitize and stuff like that. And I can't remember how he said it, but it was on CNN too. And the CNN lady was doing the, 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 uh, the segment agreed with him. So Rob, like I told you four or five months ago, this herd immunity is going to be something we're going to be experiencing. Um, oh, 
it's eventually going to happen. You're it's honest. happening. It's not going to. It is um, because we got people who aren't going to take the vaccine. We got people that aren't going to social distance. We got people who won't wear a mask. Um, so it's going. It's happening. It's not going to happen. It is happening. Um, so you know the people that want like myself that want to not get this disease are going to just have to do like we've been doing. Rob is again. You, you don't have to stop living. You go anywhere you want to. I'm going and doing. I want to. I go to this. You know. No, I, and stupid stuff I enjoy, like going for a ride and stopping the store and getting a, um, you know, fruit juice and taking my Bronco ride or going to the shop and see my buddies and work on my motor or something. I'm not stopped living, but I'm not going to go to restaurants. I, I don't need to do that right now. Um, you know, I don't need to go to the store every day. I'm going to shop, you know, wiser, you know. Um, and, I, and if I get around someone that's not wearing a mask, I'm going to keep my six or ten feet. And I'm not going to be shaking hands, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so, but again, I want everyone, if, you, if you're thinking about it or you're, you're not sure, you know, go ahead and make that decision. And wear a mask. It's that simple. Um, or just, you know, cut back on the things you do. Um, it's actually a lot of us, it's saving our planet. Um you know, talking about saving the planet, Rob, this is one reason I'm not worried about um, climate change as much. I see a lot of cool things happening right now. Amazon's totally going to be uh, energy-free, you know, electric cars. They're going to have all their plants running off in, uh, solar energy. Uh, I see Walmart's doing the same thing. Um, so a lot of these bigger companies are already making the decisions that are going to be better for our planet. So if Joe Biden or Donald Trump didn't want to do it, the people out there that really got the money and care are going to get it done, I believe. Yeah, the good ones. You're right. The good people. You know what I mean? They're already yeah. doing it. And they're not being told to do it, you know. And this way I look at it, too. Herd immunity will work just like climate change. If you don't believe in it and if you don't want to uh, do some of the things that make it better, I'll tell you one of the things I'm doing. This sounds sort of hokey. Um, this past year, I have went through limited spraying in my yard, no fertilizer. I don't want to wash that stuff into the streams. Right now, it's a proven fact that because of this COVID-19, if anything's come good of this whole thing, is our pollution around the world has, has decreased dramatically. Yeah. You know, they've seen fish for the first time over, where was it, Rob? Um, oh, in uh, Italy. They Italy, did. yeah. They saw yeah. dolphins since the Venice. You know, uh, there's, they, the, these satellites can actually see places on Earth now where they couldn't see them before. So um, we know that's real. Um, and it's not going – it's just too many people. Every time you, I turn on one of my favorite shows, Alaskan people living off the grid, I mean, they're not getting snow up there anymore. You know, uh, life has changed everywhere. And it's not just here. It's in every country. I saw where um, Lebanon or somewhere got like 15 inches of snow. They're freaking out over there. So it's not just here. It's everywhere. Yeah. Remember I told you we saw a picture of snow in the Sahara and we thought, well, that had to have been from a hundred years ago and it was 2016. Right. 2016. Now, you know, something I'm going to talk about too is Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I saw her memorial uh, the other day on, uh, I think it was PBS. Then I saw an interview with her that, that I guess they'd done years ago with a lady. She uh, talked about her love for opera and stuff like that. What an interesting lady. Um, and also what an attractive lady when she was younger. Uh, you know what she reminds me of, Rob? She reminds me of 
one of my grandmothers, my mother's mother, real, you know, petite like that, well-groomed, real educated, um, just a really, really, uh, just again, remind me of my grandmother. But this is what I thought of. I had a Jewish person tell me one time, said that uh, Jewish people don't believe in heaven and hell or God, I think, or the devil. But, and they said, when they die, they just die. And what they look at like this is what they want to be able to look back instead of like going to another world or something like that. Where they live on is what they've done here on earth and their memories that they'll have here and people will remember them. Think about that lady right there, Rob. First lady to be set at state and buried that that, uh, that famous place that she was and they'll put the rest there. Um, to have lived her life like she did as an underdog. You know, she was under overlooked and uh, put aside so many times that she never gave up and, and with so much class. So um, that's what we're in tonight, tonight with a salute to Miss um, Ginsburg, um, the passing of that, um, that we'll say that we'll pray for her family, for all the people around the world that affected them. I've seen where a lot of cool stories of little girls showed up to the to, uh, to Washington to pay the respects for. And this this woman really touched a lot of people, and um, I'll never reach that. But man, that would be a way to go out, wouldn't it, Rob? Oh, big time! Like her name will be there forever. Right. Just think if you were that famous on podcasting as she was, as she what she's done. Just about. Just about right. Well, you got a fan club now. That is true. That is right. true. Not like her though. No, nah, man. What a great woman. I uh, hate um again work till her last days. You can't you can't say enough about her. No, absolutely. I think you're right. I think that's the best way to end this one. What a classy memorial too. Uh with all the circumstances of the COVID-19 and stuff, but you know, just um everybody did a great job on that memorial. Absolutely. Okay, everyone. I'd like to tell everybody thanks for tuning in again tonight to the Vicious Circle with me and Rob Bellamy. Um, we're asking everyone to send in questions, um, topics you want to talk about. If you want to talk about what you think about this protest or what you think about the election or what you think about wrestling, we had, what was it, Lori came in and asked about vitamin C, D, and E. Um, yeah. Anything. If you've got a topic you want to talk about, um, you want an autograph picture from Rob Bellamy? Just let us know. Um, anything like that. What does that say? Thanks for doing this. Yeah, Rondell says thanks for doing this. Okay, Rondell. We appreciate you, buddy. So, again, I want everybody to have a great week. Look forward to seeing everyone back next week on Rob. The Vicious Circle. Thank you. You've been listening to The Vicious Circle Podcast. Your host, Sid Udi. Co-host, Rob Bellamy. Additional research by Pete Marsh. The Vicious Circle podcast is produced by Two Cousin Road Trip Productions, a division of JX3 Media Productions. The intro music is Unleash the Giants by Cemetery Spawn, and the outro music is Digging Space by Mike Trebleco.